I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? You are listening to The Big Cruise Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 132 of The Big Cruise Podcast. Uh, my name is Baz, I'm your host, and it's great pleasure, as always, that we bring you uh, yet another episode encompassing the best of cruise from around the world. A quick couple of thank yous, first of all, to Bobby M., who sent in a note uh, via the website. Uh, Royal Caribbean is still using the digital one-on-one muster. They have no plans to change. They indicated it's not local requirements, but a lack of staffing by other cruise lines. Good intel there, Bobby. Thanks for sending that through. And also uh, another shout-out to uh, Gary S. in Sydney. Sent through some great images yet again. He's, our, of course, our unofficial photographer in Sydney, and he's got some great shots this week of our P&O UK's Arcadia and her Union Jack livery as she was uh, docked in Sydney Harbour as part of her world cruise. That's right. And uh, also celebrating world pride with the rainbow flag on there as well. So uh, well done to P&O. Thank you to Gary and uh, thank you to Bobby. Slightly different show this week. Uh, pretty short for time as uh, Chris's schedule is a little bit hectic. So I think we should probably get this show on the road, get Chris on the line and start talking all things cruise. Enjoy the show. And it's always great to welcome our good friend and maritime historian Chris Frame, who is officially live from I'm at the airport, Baz. Just hey. just about to board a <laughs> just about to board a plane um, in about uh, probably about an hour's time to um, head over uh, to board the uh, Queen Victoria. It's one of the ships that I do the maritime history talks on board. So uh, first time back there since um, since well a couple of years before the shutdown, actually for for Queen Victoria for me. So it's oh, wow. very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens with the with the life of a guest lecturer? What 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 happens with you on board? Like do you get to use the, the passenger facilities and things or Yeah, I mean it depends really on which um ship uh, cruise line rather you're doing the engagement with. Um as to how exactly it works, but as a generalization I suppose it kind of um starts off uh you 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 get a, a guest entertainer's cabin which is generally looks like a passenger cabin usually 
in a part of the ship that's either reserved for the guest lecturers or is in a slightly different part of the ship. So on some of the ships I've, I've traveled on, it's been just forward of the passenger cabins. Okay. Um, on this particular trip, it's actually right there in with the passenger cabin. So you feel just like another another passenger, which is quite nice. Um, and yeah, once you get on board, you're basically um, able to enjoy all the passenger amenities. Um, and then you get your, your schedule to do to do the talks and what, what time they need you to be at the different venues. Um, Obviously, it's up to a lecturer or speaker as a, as a professional to ensure that all of their uh, material is is uh, correct and it all works. There's a bit of a tech tech meeting that you do to make sure that everything works on the screens. Um, I use Macs, so we always have to make sure that the, the Mac is going to chat with the um, <laughs> the Windows-based systems that they generally have on, on ships okay, but I've never really touched wood, never really had a problem. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a nice, it's a nice life and it's a great way to share um, a passion that you have with a, with an audience, and and I find that obviously I, I talk about ships on board ships, so there's there's always mm. um, really good interest. But there's such a variety of different topics that they have in the enrichment programs on on the cruise lines that many people who are, are good at public speaking who have a passion about something could probably find themselves a a gig on these on these ships because people are interested in hearing things from all different um, topics and genres. Mm, okay. And just out of interest, how many lectures would you normally do on a, on a shortish cruise? So as a, as a rule of thumb, it's one one per sea day, basically, okay. is what you need to be prepared for. So um, this trip that I'm doing is we're literally boarding the ship in, in New Zealand and just sailing across to Australia. So it's just sea days from embarkation. Um, and I'll have one talk for each each day. Um, they go for the the sort of scheduled for an hour in the in the lounge but you probably want to keep it to about 50 minutes or so mm-hmm. so that um there's a bit of time afterwards for them to clear the room out in case there's another one because quite often you'll have like a 10 a 10 o'clock and then an 11 o'clock and then a 12 15 as sort of the schedule so you don't want to interrupt the next person's yeah. schedule so we all kind of meet each other and there's a lot of courtesy that's sort of shown to make sure that everybody's working together and everyone's on the same page, and um, it generally works really well. I've been I've been doing it with three different cruise lines for for years now, and uh, it's a great experience, and people really enjoy having it as part of their uh, holiday entertainment. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah. we better uh, better jump straight into uh, the, the podcast, I guess, because you're probably going to be called for your flights at any moment. Yeah, exactly. It might it might end up leaving you to to sail on your own for the the last part if I get a boarding call. <laughs> <laughs> All good. Now we're probably going to give a uh, probably going to skip uh, maritime history and uh, come with some of the newer segments we've done over the last couple of weeks. Let's just concentrate on cruise news this week. Um, I thought and- if we do ha- if we do have um, maybe two minutes, yeah, just because it wouldn't be this podcast without it um given we were speaking about the life of a guest speaker just a quick quick two minute snippet of maritime history i know i know okay. we said we wouldn't but i've just had an idea it's just Go popped on, into my head um so nowadays of course we get on cruise ships and there's a program waiting for you in your cabin and um, passengers are welcomed on board and here's all of the activities and amenities that we have on the ship and basically from start to finish of each sea day you've got a whole daily program full of activity for you to enjoy on cruising, right? That's one of the reasons why people go cruising. Mm-hmm. But when cruising was first um, established, and in fact, all the way up until probably about the 1950s, um, that wasn't the way it worked. And basically what would happen is, and, and even on the old line voyages, there wasn't sort of this this organized daily 
hour hour by hour entertainment. And so on the first day out of port, say for example you're on a on a P and O ship that's sailing from uh, the United Kingdom across to Australia. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be on board for two to three weeks, depending on the time period that you're sailing on board, maybe even longer. Um, so the first day out of, say, um, the British ports, they would put out a call to the passengers to come along and form a committee to organise the, their own entertainment, the passenger entertainment. And so the passengers would take a leading role in organising what was going to happen on board the ship. And there wasn't sort of the cruise director and crew staff to run all of this sort of stuff. So they had to really work out how they could keep themselves occupied as a group with the materials and the amenities that the ship had. So say, for example, pianos or musical instruments or a small stage or that sort of things. But they would work with the um, purses stuff to 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 identify where they could host events and that sort of thing. And then the passengers would organize that kind of activity for themselves. So I think it's it's fascinating to think, you know, that um, people used to go on these trips and then it was basically like you'd have the, the, the long passage on the ship, but you would also be keeping yourself busy by organizing things like um, dress-up competitions and one of the funniest ones, Baz, that I've seen in the archives is the, is the popularity of the egg and spoon relay up and down the deck of the <laughs> ship. <laughs> um, and another one that I find quite interesting is they used to have horse racing on board um, some of the ships. And this this sounds like how on earth would you do that? Well, it wasn't real horses, of course. So they'd have um, sort of, if you can imagine, like a long, th- a long thin wooden, I guess, um, plate, uh, floor, 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 floor piece, and on it they'd have um, wires that were connected to fishing line reels, and they were linked up to horses on these wires, little little toy horses, and then they'd have all the passengers lined up at the end, and on the on the start of you know sound of go, they'd all sort of sit there winding the the <laughs> the fishing reels to try and see which horse could get to the end quickest, and people could <laughs> cheer and pace, you know, choose who they think is going to win and that sort of stuff. And it's it sounds so um so far far fetched from today's roller coasters and um, go karts uh, and water parks. Yeah, and... exactly. But that's how they used to do it. For the majority of time, people were traveling by ship. They were making their own entertainment. <laughs> love it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, great. Love that, Chris. Little um, little segue there. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's just take a very short break um, and let's come back with cruise news. Head over to Facebook now and hit the like button. Okay, Chris, let's jump straight on into it. There's quite a bit of news from around the world this uh, week yet again. And mm. the first bit of news that landed just yesterday was the announcement that Celestial, the uh, the Greek island specialist or the Aegean mm. specialist, has announced an addition to their fleet. They have Celestial Journey joining Ooh. the fleet. Um, it sounds like a pretty cool ship, hey? It's got um, 149 balcony cabins, over 28 suites. There's 126 junior suites. So it's a, you know, it's not a one of the massive, great, big um, ships, but it's uh, actually used to operate as Pacific Aria mm. in Australia. And before that was built for Holland America Line. So she's got a long vintage. She's been, been given a bit of a, a refit treatment there. And it's lovely to see um, that beautiful... Uh, by these today's standards, classic-looking ship built in 1993, um, being prepared for a second life. Yeah, and I did wonder what was going to happen with her because she was the last of the four Holland America, or originally four Holland America ships that were brought by sea jets and have just kind of been left in the, the port there at Athens, kind of just in hibernation. And um, 
whilst mm. the others had all found new homes or were on the way to new homes, this one was kind of left on on a lonesome. Um, but it's yeah. good to see that Celestial have got quieter and they're brilliant at what they do. They really do cruising around the Aegean very, very well and uh, really embrace all things uh, Greek and Greece. Yeah, and she was actually originally scheduled to go and join CMV alongside her sister ship, the former oh, Pacific yeah. Dawn, um, and they were supposed to join that fleet in 2021. Um, she'd actually even been given a, a, a name for CMV. She was going to be sailing as the Ida Pfeiffer. That's right. Um, but, of course, as we know, CMV uh, fell over, and, you know, the ship was laid up. And, and actually, if you go to – there's a, um, a very – famous maritime archaeologist called um or a passenger ship um historian called uh, peter canago mm-hmm. and he's got a video on his youtube channel from about a year ago of pacific aria uh laid up there in in greece and it's interesting because the ship looks completely um dormant and then you see a sole crew member playing basketball sort of practicing basketball on the ship's basketball net and you realize oh there is a little bit of something going on on board the ship there's still a little bit of life on board so to see her being rescued um and and now i say rescued to see her having a new life it's just yeah. wonderful that, that the ship's got a, a place to go now yeah and we'll get more information on her and what she'll be up to uh and part of the 20 million dollar refurbishment that's going to take place as well uh, as they drip that to us in the, the coming weeks no doubt now another cruise line is also uh preparing for uh, the ship naming ceremony this time we're talking P&O uk and if our guests are listening in the uk there's some uh, incredible guests lining up for this one yeah absolutely i mean to start off with they've got the chart topping artist ollie mars um, mm. who will be joining the um, performance lineup on board the Avia, which is their newest ship, massive, great, um, big new ship that they've brought into service. Um, and she'll be sailing with uh, that on board, that, that performance on board, rather, in um, on its Barbados trip in March. That's right. And then they've also got some BBC uh, radio celebrities that are going to be helping. Uh, we've got uh, the DJ Sarah Cox and Trevor Nelson, which will be part of the ceremony. And all of this is actually going to be broadcast live on YouTube, mm. which is the, the way forward nowadays, I guess. Um, no, sorry, 7pm on Thursday, March the 16th, you'll be able to tune in on YouTube. We have put the link in there as well. So if people want to prepare for that, they can do so. That's a great. And that's 7pm UK time. So just remember yeah. to to make the time adjustments if you're watching in from around the world. Mm, exactly. Um, Swan Hellemic has also announced the naming ceremony of their next ship, which will be the SH Diana, and it's going to be taking place in Amsterdam. It is. 4th of May is when it will be um, taking place. This is, uh, you know, this reborn Swan Hellenic seems to be going from strength to strength, Baz. Um, mm. And there's more and more uh, sort of reviews and um, passenger experience videos and blogs and that coming out from from the uh, company's sailings at the moment. It looks fantastic um, with all these um, new, new changes they're bringing in and the way that they've sort of revitalized this brand. Um, She's going to be named by a, a travel, a luxury travel um, icon, I suppose you can say, in Valerie Ann Wilson. Mm. She's a bit of a, an icon in the, the US, I believe, part of the Virtuoso network and has been on very uh, prominent on all the various different cruise boards um, in, in North America. So she's been recognized and will be helping uh, Swan Atlantic on its uh, little journey. And of course, she'll be sailing on that trip as well on the 4th of May, which is a maiden season heading up to Norway. Absolutely. Sounds great. Mm. Now, we're coming a little bit closer to home this time, Chris. We're talking all things Japan. Of course, 
Princess Cruise has been very strong in Japan over the years oh, with nice. uh, not only the Diamond Princess, but they're back in 2024 for a bumper season, including all of the main Japanese festivals. Yes, they're bringing Royal Princess to Japan, which is fantastic. And as you say, um, the Japanese uh, travelers love the Princess Cruise experience. So it's wonderful to see them um, bringing in one of their uh, Royal class ships into that uh, market. Very exciting. Um, so there's all sorts of, as you say, lots of different um, itineraries that can be can be taken up on this particular um, ship on these trips in 2024. Um, the Japan and North Pacific crossing, though, sounds absolutely fantastic. Mm. Um, taking the, the voyage um, across from Japan and ending up in Alaska, which would be pretty exciting. Um, so that, that particular cruise departs um, Yokohama, which is the, the port that Tokyo utilizes mm -hmm. um, on the 27th of April, 2024. But um, there's also a Diamond Princess, which was built in Japan. Mm, sure. um, yeah, so she's also returning to Jap Japan for, for voyages out of Yokohama as well, Baz. Yeah, and she's got some really nice, unique touches on board. If anybody hasn't uh, seen Diamond Princess, she's got the onsen. Um, she's got specific Japanese uh, culinary restaurants on board. So she really is a nice, uh, immersive experience if people want to cruise in Japan and, and mm -hmm. kind of reconnect on board the ship as well with the, with the Japanese culture as well. Um, yeah. And they're very strong in the, the seasons there with the different festivals from the cherry blossom through to the summer festivals. And then, of course, the fall foliage later in the year as well. There's a whole list of those festivals um, that we've got in the show notes so if people are interested have a little look because uh, there's lots to choose from yeah people forget that um that some of the princess ships were built in japan diamond princess obviously being one of them and uh constructed at the mitsubishi heavy mm. industry shipyard so it's kind of interesting and i wonder sometimes if she's got the little mitsubishi logo on her um on her engine room like they do on the front <laughs> of the cars <laughs> actually there's a little story um I'll have to dig. I, I, I know there's a story surrounding Diamond Princess and being built in Japan. I just can't remember the facts. So we'll have to do a bit of digging and maybe we'll weave that into uh, maritime history one week as well. Mm, sounds good. Uh, next up, Costa Fortuna is headlining some of the best of the East and Western Med. Yes, these uh, voyages in the Mediterranean, they will be going for two weeks um, on board Costa Fortuna. Um, and they're basically designing these trips around the ability to allow their passengers to have a really extensive Mediterranean holiday bars. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really actually quite timely because I had a message from a friend who lives in Spain yesterday and she was looking to do a cruise from Spain that included the Greek Isles. And it was actually really hard to find. Um, mm. There was trips around the Eastern Med and the Western Med, um, but nothing that kind of, well, there wasn't that many that did both. But uh, I found an itinerary just based on this press release, which uh, departed out of Barcelona, uh, took in a little bit of Med. So you got your... Um, your Rome, your Messina, um, mm. and then it headed into the Greek cars and you got your typical Mykonos and Santorini. Um, so I actually think it'll be really popular. And the prices are incredible as well. Do you know what I find also quite interesting is that there's there's one itinerary here that, that um, is available on three different dates in April, September, and October. Mm. And it goes um, all the way up to, to Turkey. And, you know, it's quite interesting because one of the ports that they've highlighted is Izmir, which is the port yeah. that's quite close to the... Um, Turkish scrapyards where so many of the passenger ships ended up during the, the cruise shutdown. So um, oh. interesting location and you don't really hear too much about cruises um, out of that particular port. So it'd be fascinating to see what sort of short tour options they have and what um, the region has to offer rather than the sort of more, um, I guess, the sadder stories that were coming out of that particular region during, <laughs> during the shutdown. 
Yeah, exactly. Mm. Uh, we're sticking with Carnival Corporation, and this time we're talking Seabourn, and they've announced that they're going to be spending more time covering expeditions in the South Pacific and the Kimberley. I know. How exciting is this? So, I mean, Seabourn is just such a um, nice experience by by all accounts. I've, mm-hmm. um, I've heard so many positive things about people who travel with them year after year, and a lot of people in Australia who love that Seabourn experience. So to have their ships available um, more regularly in the local market is fantastic. Um, the Kimberley, which is, of course, a, a brilliant place to visit by ship, but it does require you to probably take in those sites on a smaller ship than what many people are traveling on yep. so with the seaborne ships they, i mean they're by no means tiny but they aren't as big as some of the mega ships but they also have that fantastic um combination with the ship and then the the sort of the the land-based experiences with their zodiacs and that sort of thing so they can um offer these uh zodiac trips across to the horizontal waterfalls um there's guided tours guided t- hikes throughout the kimberley region um, and so there's six 10-day trips on board Seabourn Pursuit um, that are going between Broome and Darwin, so taking both Western Australia and the Northern Territory and um, throughout that um, Kimberley region. But they've also got Papua New Guinea and the South Pacific, uh, and the South Pacific Baz. Mm, I know, yeah. Incredible. They've got 15-day uh, voyages through Papua New Guinea and West Papua in May, mm. June, and again in August and September of 2024. Um, voyages of up to 35 days, in fact, on that one. And then, yeah, heading across uh, the South Pacific from Chile to Melanesia in March and April, and again in September and October of 2024. Hey, Chris, you know um, the Kimberley? There's actually very, very few ships up there that actually have a swimming pool on board. Mm. And uh, that's incredible given that you can't swim in the Kimberley waters due to obviously the crocodiles and uh, other famous local creatures. So this will be a nice touch because I think she will be one of a very few number of ships that actually has a pool on board to enable people to have a, a swim whilst cruising through the beautiful Kimberley coastline. Yeah, and, and, and part of the reason why there's most of the ships that are up there um, more regularly don't have pools is because most of them are, are very small mm-hmm. and um, compared to, to most of the cruise ships that people will be familiar with. So the Seabourn uh, fleet, it's kind of small ship cruising, but it's not, um, it's not very small ship cruising. So yeah. you have that ability to bring all those wonderful amenities into the ship, high level of... Um, uh, well, very high level of, of suites on board the ships, of course. And I think Seabourn Pursuit is is um, all um, balcony cabins, but some of the ships have a few um, yeah. porthole cabins on board as well, but they're all considered um, top-notch and it's a pretty luxurious way to see the area. Yeah, I mean, when you say small ships... Um in the Kimberley, we're talking anything from like kind of 20 guest streets, or probably about 100, 120 is probably the average. But um, yeah, certainly not the thousands that you would come to expect on any of the big white ships, that's for sure. Yeah, in a previous podcast, you and I, back well, a couple of years ago probably now, we we had a, a, a broadcast from the pier with um, the Coral, oh, Coral Adventure. Princess. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, Coral Adventure, I think it was. And oh, she yeah. was... Um, She's one of those those small ships that goes up to the Kimberley region uh, on a more regular basis. So if listeners are interested in trying to get a sort of image of what we are referring to, there's a, a good podcast that kind of basically covers that entire thing back in our back catalogue. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and last, but by no means least, of course, we have touched on already the fact that the Pacific Encounter um, has completed her refit uh, uh, up in Singapore there. Um, you've touched on a great video, mate, and mm. uh, included some incredible footage and uh, photos of uh, the installation of the, the two water slides there. Yeah, so, I mean, one of the things about um, 
the P and Australia fleet is that they've got both the the water slides and the and the sort of water park on board the ships, but also they have the Edge program, um, which is a P and Australia sort of outdoor adventure program that they've had on the ships for Mm. for years now and you know it's an evolving product it changes from ship to ship but for the most part you'll find um things like the rock climbing wall and the uh, zip line that goes across the top deck of the ship Mm -hmm. and then on pacific um, explorer particularly there's a, a walk the plank where you sort of literally walk out on a steel metal beam over the side of the ship and fortunately you are in a harness um but uh and you know can kind of that's pretty thrilling and on these ones they have something something similar to that um, on board um, encounter and adventure um and yeah so she's getting all of her edge uh, pacific encounters getting all of her edge amenities added plus these massive water slides they they're 142 meters in length each there's two of them mm-hmm. and basically from the top of this water slide platform you kind of go down uh, there's a there's a you can choose there's a dark blue one and a light blue one they both kind of spin off in different directions and you end up coming back to sort of like a central yeah. pool area at the bottom um i just recently did the uh, the water slides on um pacific explorer and inside they have music and they've got um like spiral lights so when you go through certain sections of it it's all bright and colorful it's really hmm. cool um so it's nice to see them being added onto the ship there and that kind of brings her up to the same um amenity standard i suppose as as her fleet mates yeah and of course she's already left singapore now she's heading back to her home port so she'll be somewhere across the the north of australia and heading back and uh, getting ready to to re-welcome um australians on cruises to the south pacific Sounds exciting. Um, and looking forward to hearing from anybody who's traveling on those early voyages to see if they wanted to do a, uh, a trip review because it'd be great to hear how that um, new uh, EDGE program on board is being received by passengers. Absolutely. Don't forget, if you do want to get in touch with uh, myself and Chris, you can do so via the website, thebigcruisepodcast.com. Click on Join the Show, which is up in the top right-hand corner. You can send us a question. You can just give us an observation. You can suggest a fact or fiction. You can have a gripe. Uh, or, of course, you can uh, offer to do a cruise review. Uh, we've had a lot of questions land in the inbox um, over the last uh, couple of weeks which is great great to see the engagement from all the listeners all over the world uh we we you know we talk a lot about being down here in australia but it's always important to remember that we've got people in north america uk europe singapore um i think there's even a couple of listeners in croatia um so uh, great to, to to hear from you every now and again um chris we survived without any interruptions from the, the hanoi <laughs> And I think I've even got time, looking at the, the departures board, I've still got time to do a fact or fiction if, you're, uh, oh, okay. if you were feeling brave enough to, to give it a go. Fact or fiction. Cool. All right. So this one actually is, um, it, it might have been something we've talk, talked about before. So I wonder if you're going to, um, if you're going to be able to guess. <laughs> okay, go for it. But my, my, my fact or fiction. So in the... Um, Era of the ocean liner on the North Atlantic, mm-hmm. there were passenger ships that had catapults on board for propeller planes. No, that sounds ridiculous. No, not true. <laughs> Are you sure? You want to find a friend? <laughs> well, now it sounds so ridiculous that it probably is true, but no, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stick with my gut feeling of no. Okay, so you should, yeah, it is, it is, it's so ridiculous that it, that it is true. Um, <laughs> so there's two ships that were built for the Norddeutsche Lloyd. They entered yeah. service in 
the, in 1929 was the was when they were first inaugurated into service um, on the North Atlantic. They were they were Germans uh, German built ships that were designed to capture the transatlantic speed record, which they did. They were were very big. They they um, eclipsed the Mauritania in terms of um, speed, and were sort of the pride of. Um, uh, of the North Atlantic for for several years, whilst that race for transatlantic supremacy intensified throughout the 1930s. Now, the ships had uh, two purposes, well, three purposes really. They were passenger ships, but they also carried cargoes and they carried the mail. Mm-hmm. And the shipping line, Norddeutsche Lloyd, they were one, wanting to have the fastest mail service across the North Atlantic. So these passenger ships that had a full complement of passengers had a catapult on the top of the ship between the two funnels. And on that, there was a propeller plane, a seaplane. And what would happen is as the ship was approaching port, so it was still several hours out by sea, but getting quite close to port, mm. the postal express post would be loaded into the aeroplane and the pilot would get in they'd fire up the engine and then the aircraft would be catapulted off the top deck of the ship and it would fly ahead of the ship and land hours before the ship did to deliver the mail nice and promptly so (laughs) so you had these passenger ships that were that were having um aeroplanes fired off their top deck once per crossing um can you imagine what the who, what the spectacle would be these days? Who came up with that, and who volunteered to be the first person to be catapulted off? That's just <laughs> insane. Well, I mean, the technology—it it is, it is by today's standards, it sounds um, utterly made up. But the um, the technology for catapulting aircraft off ships had actually been was was being utilised quite a lot by navies around the world. And in fact, if you look at pictures of um, even during, say, World War II, even when you look at the the American um, battleships, the um, Iowa class, the Missouri, Iowa, New Jersey, on their aft decks, when they're first in the original configuration, you'll find two catapults with airplanes attached to them, and they could be fired off the back of the ship. So there was, um, in navies, uh, precedent for using it like this. And in fact, during World War One, they also tried to... to uh, militarize airplanes. So it's not the first time that that thing was, that, that t- type of uh, aircraft ship performance was used, but I can't find, easily find, for uh, anything else that suggests it was done on passenger ships um, <laughs> up until this point. So it's quite an interesting thing. And I just have this image in my head of it now, like, you know, the top deck of, uh, I don't know, one of the big um, Oasis class ships, and they've got all these amenities, and then the passengers all kind of mingle around the top deck to watch the catapult fire an aeroplane off to take the mail it just it sounds so far removed from today's yeah. um, experience but back then it was considered to be the best way to get the mail across really quickly um, what's also interesting Baz, is that behind the catapult there's also a crane a very big crane and that wasn't just for lifting the aeroplane up onto the catapult to start with at ports and stuff but also sometimes the catapult would have some problems and it might not fire the aircraft off properly or might get jammed they had to use it to sort of adjust the aeroplane back <laughs> which if it was happening today that would be like completely breaking you know social media because people yeah. would just be so busy filming it <laughs> oh madness absolutely insane but uh, yeah i guess um always all these little quirks that come out of uh, the history books so uh, yeah you did it again chris well done <laughs> I think you um I think you were on the fence with that one so we can maybe call that one a draw. <laughs> no no, I did say it was a fiction so no no, you take it as your <laughs> win. I think uh you're doing pretty well. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, 
It is. Uh, we're we're cuddling it fine now. We're, we've had no interruptions from the tanner. We should probably call it a good day because uh, I'm sure things are going to get starting. Get, I'm sure things are going to start getting very very busy in uh, the airport there. Yep. All the best for the upcoming uh, sailing mates. Uh, good luck. I'm sure you'll get a full house at all of your presentations, and uh, of course we'll do all of this once again next week. Thank you. I'll be bringing you a little special um, segment from on board Queen Victoria as well, so that we can oh, um, share that experience for next week. If that's um, if that's okay with you, Baz. Absolutely. Yeah. Send it across. Sounds good. Cheers, mate. Have a great cruise. Thank you. Have a good week, everyone. That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time, bon voyage. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.